Hey everybody, welcome back. Hello, welcome to At Home. I am Linda. I am Drew. <laughs> you are Groot. <laughs> and、uh, this is a show where we get to discover creative ways to build a happy and healthy home. We chat with artists, experts, leaders, dreamers, and makers about the impact that they're creating in the world. And we learn more about our relationships with ourselves, with our communities, and the planet. Yeah, we truly believe that any difference that we want to make out there starts wherever. We are with ourselves at home. So, how are you feeling? I feel like when you ask me that, you know that I'm not feeling all right. <laughs> kind of. I can sense it, I can feel it. I mean, it, it has been a heavy week. Yeah, it's heavy weeks. Um, I'm sure everybody here has seen the news. Our, our hearts go out to the victims' families in Atlanta and Boulder. It's, it's just so sad. I mean, I, I don't know how to process when things like this happen.、Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of Bregan's quote from last week, actually. Bregan Jane was on our podcast, and she said that she's not letting evil stop her in her search for good. And I think that's a good outlet because there is still a lot of good in this world.、Um, and it's easy to be distracted by a lot of negativity that you can see in the news. You okay?、Mm-hmm. What's going through your mind? I don't know, so much. Yeah, I'm still processing everything, but it is helpful to hear people like Brigan.、Um, Or, or anyone telling their stories and sharing their stories and how they feel because it puts into words what, you know, just feels like crap. Yeah. And, and we will share as well some links to some resources that we found that have been helpful.、Um, and again, we really encourage you guys to reach out and, and talk to us on social, send us some links if there's anything that you find helpful as well. I mean, we're all here to support each other. I think. That's what a community is supposed to do for each other. And, and that's what at home is. This is our at home community. Why are you still? <laughs> Linda's going to make me cry when she's crying. No, I, I do like it, sucks feeling helpless, but like you think that with every tragedy, we learn how to deal with it, but it's just different. Well, especially when. You know, we are such huge advocates of everyone being able to live their life, to feel loved. And then you see hate crimes happening. It just feels like we're taking one step forward and then 18 steps back. It's not fair. And today's podcast is all about shining a positive light on amazing people doing great things. Yeah. So we are focusing on. The positive, because that's where we can make change. Because、um, it is tiring dwelling in, in these tragedies. And I hope that we can come together when these things happen and, and learn, actually learn from it.、Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we're, it's a good reminder for us to like, keep going in our search for good and to, to try to be the good.、Um, Mm-hmm. And yeah, this episode's supposed to be you know, very positive because we, we are very excited to share、um, our guests today with you because、um, these are all makers who we know and love.、Um, some we know personally and some we just met, or one of them we just met. So,、 
Um, we love them because they inspire us to do good and they show us that no matter how small you are, when you do what you love and you can bring people along with you, you'll make such a huge change. It's, it's really fun for us to dig in and see how they took a problem, a passion, a hobby and turned it into something bigger. And they're integrating their values into their work from the very start, inspiring the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Well, our first small business, I can completely relate to them because I can remember working my regular job and thinking, I need to get out of this. I need to just quit and take on my passion, my weekend hobby. Which was what? Basketball. Oh. I wanted to play so bad. <laughs> okay, it wasn't good enough. I was actually. Yeah, you were. I'm I was, sure you were good. I was pretty good, but I'm actually talking about acting and real estate. Those were my two passions, mm-hmm. and they did start off just as more of a hobby until mm-hmm. I realized that if I want to do this and I want to do this right, I have to go all in. We'll have to hear that story another day. Another day. Because here we're talking about we actually met this couple and their small business just before our wedding because we were looking for a wedding cake. Mm-hmm. And of course we left things to the last minute and we only had, was it a few months before the wedding? I think it was like not even two months. So we were filming in San Fran um, and planning our wedding and we were hunting for a cake. It's the only thing I would hunt for. I don't like hunting. I would hunt for a cake though. Good, good cake hunting. <laughs> Goodwill cake hunting. <laughs> anyway, we fell in love with Butter and that's the name of the company. Um, it was love at first bite. Wah, I know it's so wah. cheesy, but it's so true. We, I, I think there's a video of us melting um, during the cake tasting, like the flavors, the craft, the care, the commitment. But also just their personalities. Yeah. You, we really fell in love with them because you could see their passion and you could taste that passion in the flavor of what they created. It, it was a masterpiece. Yeah, we love them so much. We uh, brought them with us to Italy where and she made our cake with her sister. And you know what? <laughs> Out of all of my wedding cakes, this was my favorite one. <laughs> what? Oh, is that another story? Oh, that that's, that's for another time. <laughs> no, Butterand, uh, Amanda and Ted were absolutely amazing. We love them. We love everything they do. And here's a little bit more about how they've expanded their business and their passion. They're super sweet and we're just really excited to catch up with them. Yeah, I mean, they went from tech talk with their jobs to a cakewalk. All right. I'm I'm trying to get clever with the pun. Not bad, not bad. I was going to say we're excited to hear their story of how they went from gigabytes to cake bites. Oh my gosh, that was so terrible. These are really bad. Okay. Um, No, but seriously, why don't we just go ahead with Amanda and Ted? Hey, that rhymed. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices like my lights, my locks. (laughs) My security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not mine. Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. 
Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Uh, my name is Amanda. And I'm Ted. And we are the owners of Butter and, a designer cake shop in San Francisco. And now Pastel too, apparently. <laughs> okay. Can, can you both tell us what Butter and is all about? Because we've talked you up now. We've buttered you up. Now you <laughs> tell us. <laughs> Gosh, what is Butter and about? It's about, um, well, taking like great design and making it more accessible for people. Um, like you had a really custom experience uh, and that's kind of what we did for like the show. But um, for a lot of people, it, the only way to get something really beautiful uh, from a cake maker is to kind of go through like a very long process um, and then there's usually like a very high minimum. Um, and we didn't really want to do that. So Amanda came up with for butter and like a set of designs that are generally like more minimalistic, more modern. And that means that like, you don't have to pay like a thousand dollar minimum to get, uh, like a, a cake Isn't that looks cake? really beautiful. Yeah. You can just pay, you know, like starting at a hundred dollars, something like that. Um, so that's like a big part of what we wanted to do. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's really amazing too because you're really looking out for people on one of the most important days of, of their life If you know, for wedding cakes. And I know you do cakes for all different occasions. Definitely. So for people who want to like get a cake um, and maybe they didn't plan seven months in advance because they didn't know that's how it usually works. Like they sometimes come to us like three weeks before the wedding (laughs) and they're like, I need something. And we're like, great. That's like, that's totally fine. We have, we definitely have options for, you know, that kind of time frame. So it relieves a little stress. I might have this wrong, but I'm trying to remember back from when we first met you guys though. Ted, were you, Amanda, you started the business, right? Ted, you were working full-time elsewhere. So explain a bit of the, the backstory. Yeah. So I, um, the reason why I actually like jumped in and and, like left my, I used to be in tech. So I I was at Facebook before. And then um, I started making cakes in my free time and just got really obsessed with it because it was such a fun, it was just really fun to do and interesting, like creatively too. And then um, I had a hard time leaving my job though, because it was just a scary jump. Um, So you were a data, a data analyst? Yeah. Yeah. I did data at Facebook. Um, and my mom is also, you know, like an immigrant. She like didn't finish college, like opened up her own salon and worked really hard to like put me through school so I could get a a cushy job, like a cushy tech job. Um, and she was so proud, uh, that I had like fulfilled this destiny only to start thinking about starting my own creative small business, which is like, you know, seems maybe a little backwards to, to her eyes. That was my fear, right? Um, just walking away from a stable job. So I uh, deliberated long and hard um, and decided to make the jump. But it was um, I was lucky to also be with Teddy because he provided me the stability. You know, it wasn't like I, overnight I started making enough money to pay for rent. Right. Um, so it's been like a team effort from the very beginning. But now with that jump that you're talking about, because I mean, it's, it's nice to have that additional income in the house. Uh, but w- what is it like so many people we know, they just cannot make that jump to go from that stability and also the pressure of parents that are sort of saying that they're proud with what you're doing. And, you know, I, I experienced the same when I was going from real estate to say, I just wanted to act. 
And my parents were like, <laughs> well, can I tell you the percentage of people who make it? But what, what was that thing that made you finally decide, I can do this, I have the strength to do this? But Well, you were a data analyst, so did you over, did you analyze everything? Did you have spreadsheets? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I overanalyzed the sh out of it. Um, sorry, <laughs> I just censored myself. The, the, really the sheet cake, it. you overanalyzed the sheet cake out exactly. of it. Exactly. <laughs> I think you decided to leave in like October, but then you were like, you told everybody, all right, guys, I'm leaving, it's happening. And then it, it took until April until you could really finally push yourself over the edge. And then you're like, okay, I'm, I'm seriously really leaving. But you got a part-time job in April too, so yeah, that you true. wouldn't be totally uh, you wouldn't be totally out of income. It was you it was kind of interesting. It was a year. It was a year long decision, half huh. in half out. You know, um, yeah. You just kind of made it a really slow on ramp for yourself. Yeah, I highly recommend it to people who are risk averse and you know just. <laughs> I I think there's. There's probably like no right or wrong way to do it. But for me, uh, it was such a, an extreme change. Um, but Drew, to answer your question, like kind of what made me do it, I think time, right? I was just thinking about it for a really long time. It, it took me forever to actually tell my mom because I was so afraid that I would disappoint her. But she took it really well and is is like my biggest supporter to this day and has been mm. since the beginning. Mm. Amazing. Um, I think she's an incredible businesswoman. Um, but yeah. And then another factor was just life. Um, I was still early enough in my career where I could see the future. Um, I think I was like pretty good at my job, but uh, if there were a time to make like a meaningful change, I would want to do it before I had too many, like a kid or something like that. Not to say that if you have a kid, it's like too late. But I felt like I could bounce back mm -hmm. in case. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like when you're changing careers, there's already so much, you know, there's doubt everywhere you look. How did you know that you were good at it? Like where were you getting? Why cakes? Oh man, good question. Because um, a lot of people just doubt themselves. But how yeah. did you reinforce and, and reassure yourself that this is something I love and I'm good at it? The first few cakes you like put on instagram and then people started like actually liking them which i think was surprising for you um and like then people started messaging you and like you didn't even know who they were which was also like what how do these people find me um and then you were giving them away for free for a while because you were just like hey I just made this it was just an opportunity to, to practice and then putting my work up on instagram was also really great social signal because, you know, people were liking it. Like I, I had a personal Instagram and it's like tiny, you know, like nobody likes my, my stuff. Like <laughs> and then I like put some cakes and, you know, likes, likes, likes. And so I was like, go. Oh yeah. Like people. And then when people start asking like, Oh, how did you do this? You know, then it's like, Oh wow. I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm getting good. <laughs> mm. And then somebody was finally like, I'll pay you to make a cake uh, for me. Yeah. Could you do it? Yeah. And then you're like, oh, wow. Like, I don't have to give these away for free. Yeah. Now, Teddy, from your side, looking looking at Amanda and when she was considering to leave, leave, leaving her job and moving into something new here, what was going through your brain? Um, for me, I, I'm a little less risk averse. 
and so I was just like, you got to go, you got to <laughs> do this, you know? And then she's like, well, you know, they say if I stay until March, I'll, I could still get my bonus. And I'm like, you don't need that bonus. Just go, <laughs> just do it. Um, and so it, that's like the natural push and pull, I think that we have, which is kind of fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was like, you know, maybe I can work at this thing one day if it goes well. So the sooner you start it, uh, the sooner then, you know, maybe I can start working on it too. Uh. And when was this, when did it end up happening? So in 20, I, I had been basically working in tech during the week. And then on the weekend I would go and work at the cake shop because usually the weekends are busier. That's when people want to eat cake. Mm-hmm. Um, well, or every day. Or every day. Yeah. Yeah, there's some everyday people too out there, and we love them. Uh, but yeah, so I I uh, was helping on the weekend, and then it was just kept getting busier and busier. Um, and at the same time, work was getting like more and more bureaucratic. The company I was at was getting like bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and so I was like, this is not fun anymore. Um, but I do seem to be having a lot of fun on the weekend. Um, so what if the weekend were just the whole week, you know? Um, and then at some point in 2019, I think like July, I was just like, I got to go. We're doing this now. Um, and made the jump and it was great. And we literally worked seven days a week, I think for that entire rest of the year, maybe some more. So what was that transition like for, for you both to jump from such a corporate job into running your own business in something so creative? And, and how did, do you find that you use a lot of your experiences at your old jobs in your new business? Yeah, definitely. A ton, yeah. Um, I think the major difference is that like you're in charge and so you can't blame anybody mm. uh, if something doesn't happen. Dirty. It's just fully up to you. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> oh man, this project is taking a really long time. It's not because somebody didn't approve it. It's just because you didn't do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I really, I really enjoyed that part of running a business, which is different. So, so I do want to know though, I want to dig into the dark side of the business. Now, no couple works together and has a blissful time the entire time. So what are you us, talking about? What are, I mean, except for us, except for us. So what do you guys find, you know, like for us, it's really the pace of everything that we do is what kind of stresses us out sometimes for you guys. What do you find the challenges, um, you know, being, a couple and working together. I mean, working together is kind of the goal. So I don't really see that as, I see that as more like the solution. Like we get to actually lean on each other and it makes it way easier to do all the things that we have to do. So how did the pandemic affect your business? Butterand was, it used to be like 50% wedding cakes and then 50% bougie birthday cakes. Um, But like, I think the average serving size was probably closer to 50 people. Um, And so literally a year ago, you know, like, I think this is just March, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. coming up on like uh, a full year, but um, overnight, basically half of our business disappeared. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really, really scary because Butteran was still very new. um, And we had maybe three weeks of runway run rate left in the bank. Mm. Like if we actually had to shut down, not take on any orders and then continue paying our staff. Um, and so it was really scary, but basically Ted and I, we, we put together this um, Google doc called Corona. No, you don't. 
just analyzing like the situation, you know, and the situation was basically people are scared and sad and stuck inside. Like all of these events are canceled. Um, a lot of these events are birthdays and like anniversaries and like would have been weddings. Um, you know, those time is still passing and people still need to like find joy and celebrate somehow. So how do we, how do we like meet our clients where they are? And yeah. that's home. Um, and it's probably in a s- smaller serving. And so we um, made smaller cakes. Uh, quarantine cakes. Yeah, we call them quarantine cakes. Uh, we offered them up uh, into Instagram. We announced on Instagram and then it just went viral. Like we were so lucky that a reporter for people um, who also is an amazing cake maker, Anna Jo, uh-huh. uh, but she like wrote us up and then we just had a ton of just visibility into what we were doing. And, and the post that I wrote was basically like, hello, like if you would like to, you know, like if you're wondering how you can like support local businesses, like this is how you do it. And like, this is what local businesses are doing. Like we are creating a quarantine cake, please support. And then we shouted out like some other restaurants that were doing like meal kits and, you know, just being creative and trying to make things work and continue paying their staff. Our short conversation actually turned into an hour-long catch-up session, which was really great. They're so fun. I love talking to them. I mean, we hope to do another cake-tasting session, too, with them very soon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we love them. Yeah, yeah. We, them, we don't not, use them not for their, their cake. cakes at all. <laughs> I can already taste the conversation. You taste so good when you talk. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's weird. Um, the thing that stuck out to me, where I think I like must have pinched you when, when Ted said working together is the solution and the goal because I know you and I have you know there is a lot of we work well together but there's also a lot of tension and um, yeah so it's nice to remember that we want to work together and Mm -hmm. we don't have to but we're good together and I enjoy it and I I think it's as we continue to learn how each of us work that's the big difference there because mm-hmm. we work well together, but we work in different ways. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I like to how, how Amanda and Ted are continually growing. In fact, bread out of the pandemic Ooh, uh, doubled up on that one. one. No, it's actually their second business called Pastel, long range delivery service for hidden gems like other bakeries and bread shops and all the deliciousness of the area. It's so cool how they are a small business supporting other small businesses. Mm-hmm. And we'll actually put some links in the show notes for you guys too, all about that so you can see what Pastel is doing. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. (laughs) Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. Speaking of delivery, did you know that you could get our household cleaning supplies delivered to us in a cool looking van and we just bring out our like milk bottles and 
jugs and everything. And we're back in the 50s with our milk jugs. (laughs) Uh, I did not know that you can have personal hygiene products or household cleaning products, organic, vegan, amazing, eco-friendly products that could come to you and refill in the containers you already have. Linda and I are hugely passionate about getting rid of single-use plastic. We try, we try. And our um, Courtney on our team introduced us to our next guest and... The whole family is excited. We had her come by to the house. We had a lineup from our house, Linda's sister, her place, and then the neighbors were lining up as well. Let's talk to our next courageous change maker who is making a difference on our planet, removing one plastic bottle at a time. Um, My name is Kelly and I own a mobile refill shop, also called a zero waste shop. And what we do is we try to reduce single use plastic pollution by refilling your household containers. So instead of throwing away your plastic shampoo bottle or your plastic laundry detergent bottle, you'll just save that bottle, clean it out, and then we refill it with those products so that you can keep using that bottle over and over again instead of throwing it away and it going to the landfill. So I offer most of the basics. So for cleaning, we've got everything from dish soap, laundry detergent, all-purpose cleaner, glass cleaner, all of your basic cleaning products. And then we also offer personal care products, shampoo, conditioner, body soap, body lotion, hand sanitizer, that kind of thing. Um, All of our cleaning products are mainly unscented. And that's Mm -hmm. usually one of the requests from people is for more scented products. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, I'm really sensitive to scents. So I like to offer an unscented line. And then if you want to scent it yourself, you can always add essential oils. Mm. Um, All of the products in our van that are scented are scented with essential oils because we don't use synthetic fragrances, Mm. which does make the product usually a little more expensive. So I think keeping things unscented and simple is the easiest way to go. And a lot of it is really educating customers that they don't need that many products. You can do most things in your home with just a handful of products and it goes a long way. So I think most of my work in the van is educating. Like every time someone comes up, it's usually like a mini consultation. Oh, do I need this? How much do I use of that? A lot of people use like a giant cap full of laundry detergent, which you don't need, right? Mm -hmm. So ours is really concentrated. You only use one or two tablespoons and that's a really hard process for a lot of people to change their mind and try to adjust to using things that are concentrated or Mm -hmm. trying to acknowledge that things don't have to suds to be cleaning. Like that's a marketing tactic that, Mm -hmm. you know, your Mm -hmm. shampoo has to foam to be cleaning. It doesn't. So just a lot of educating. And as far as my background goes, um, I grew up in Pennsylvania And my family was very environmentally conscious as I was growing up. My father was an environmental scientist. Mm -hmm. We did things at home to be eco-friendly. We composted in our backyard. We were huge people of uh, huge fans of repairing instead of buying new and just using what we had. So that was always top of mind. And then growing up in the outdoors, camping, hiking, backpacking, um, just learning to appreciate nature and being a steward of nature, I feel like it's our responsibility to leave it a better place for our future generations. How did this all start? Like, how do you, I don't know, how do you create a mobile <laughs> refill station? <laughs> <laughs> um, it actually started, 
Um, my idea for it in 2018, I had been working a corporate job, you know, the cubicle life, and I was just really unfulfilled with what I was doing. So I decided to quit my corporate job and my partner and I took a four month trip abroad. And so we were traveling to all these really beautiful places and, you know, you go to the most remote beach and then it's just covered in trash and it's just really disheartening and, I was really heartbroken by all of these things that I was seeing in these supposedly really beautiful and remote places. Mm. Um, but also while we were traveling, we were in Australia and we saw these bulk stores where you could fill up just like at the grocery stores here, they have like kind of nuts and seeds and that kind of thing. But they also had cleaning products and personal care products. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. Like I've never seen this before. I knew it exists kind of and other countries where they still have these things at markets. And it's not really like a new idea, but I hadn't seen it in this modern way. So I was really excited when I returned from my trip to start living this lifestyle and reducing my personal waste. Um, but when I looked for these stores, I couldn't find one in my neighborhood. So that got me thinking that I would try to start my own. And I love too, that this isn't just talking about reducing waste of plastic that will be in the ocean. It's also thinking of other ways too. You're, you know, you're now reducing all these other people that would be traveling in vehicles that are pumping exhaust into the air to go and get these products and, um, and replace them with new plastic products. Uh, or containers. And so I just love that there's so many aspects that are sort of layered as to how this is reducing emission. It's it's reducing waste on our planet. First off, how did you come up with the van or, or, or the, the process instead of having a store somewhere or a market that you were going to? Sure. So as you know, in LA, retail space is very expensive. So unfortunately, I couldn't afford to open a retail store on my own. I didn't want to go look for funding or anything like that. And when we were traveling, we actually lived in a minivan for two months in New Zealand. And so that idea of kind of being in a van and being mobile was already on top of my mind. And we had purchased a surf van for my partner and he was using it to kind of go on these surf trips. And we thought, well, what if we just take that van and we build out a little shelving in the back and make that our mobile store? And it was actually just going to be a little test to see if there was demand for this kind of thing in our area. But it actually turned out to be such a blessing. And I think it's one of the smartest things I did for my business because now it just makes so much more sense to have this mobile store. Honestly, when I started this business, I didn't expect it to work. I fully was like, we're just going to play with this for a few months. And then we had already plans to turn it back into a camper van and go traveling <laughs> through all the national parks for a month. Um, so I just was like, this is just a fun kind of passion thing. But then when we took it out the first time, people were really excited about it and really responded well to the idea and people were asking a lot of really good questions and it got people thinking about why this was important. And it really just took off from there with, you know, the local community. I feel so fortunate to have had the opportunity to not only take this refill van and do these events and help people reduce their own plastic pollution, but to also educate people on why this is important and what zero waste is and how we can make small steps in our daily lives to reduce our personal impact. Right. So what we're trying to do is divert from the landfill. So in nature, there is no waste, right? So what we're trying to do is reduce as much as we can things going to the landfill. And that means that we're repairing, we are recycling, and it's called a circular economy where nothing goes to the landfill. 
Everything's plant-based and natural, vegan and cruelty-free. And I work with smaller manufacturers so that we can support other small local businesses. And I'd say 90% of our refill products are circular, meaning I get sent the products in like a five-gallon container. Mm. I pour that into my container and then I send their container back to the manufacturer. They clean and sanitize and refill that container and send it back to me. So from start to end, it's a circular economy process. That's great. Yeah, I think people are really excited, not just about refilling, but about other changes that they can make in their lives and at home. So yes, they are refilling, they're saving these plastic bottles, but they're also thinking about other ways that they can reduce their impact, whether that's borrowing instead of buying, repairing instead of buying new, donating or reducing the amount they're driving, taking a bicycle instead. So it's just, Mm. for me, the first step. And we always say zero waste is a good place to start, but a terrible place to end. So you just want to start somewhere and have that kind of evolve and push you towards these bigger and more impactful things in your life. Mm -hmm. When when you said that, so it's a great place to start, but a terrible place to end, meaning that that shouldn't be your last resort? It shouldn't be the only thing that you're doing, right? So you should, of course, try to reduce your waste as much as possible, but you should also be, you know, trying to reduce how much you're driving. You should be reducing the amount you're flying. You should be, you know, not buying textiles all the time and you should. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. Just do other things in the community to reduce your overall impact. Yeah, I think so often we look for the one thing that's going to solve all of our climate change issues. But, um, you know, as a lot of experts are saying, it's not just going to be one solution. It's Mm -hmm. going to be all of these little things at the same time and yesterday. Only 9% of plastic is recycled. So even if you're putting your recyclables Mm. in the bin, they're not necessarily being recycled. Mm -hmm. So when you're using a plastic bottle, you can pretty much just assume that it's going to end up in the landfill. Like you said, greenwashing is one of those things I talk about in that presentation where the marketing tactics that these companies use make you feel like you're doing a good thing by buying a compostable plastic or they Mm. put a green leaf on it or they use some marketing tactic that makes it feel really environmentally friendly when in fact those compostable plastics can't really be composted in most places. Mm. Compostable plastics need a certain amount of heat and humidity to break down, and most composting facilities do not accept compostable bioplastics. So 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 those end up in the landfill as well. So um, if people aren't sending it to a facility, if they're just doing their own compost, then same problem. It's probably not going to break down because it doesn't have the the heat it needs. Yeah. Why (laughs) all this misinformation and we think we're doing it right? Can you talk a bit about how you had to pivot your business over the past year? Right. So actually last year when this had happened, I just launched my second refill van in February of 2020. Mm. And we were, you know, really excited about April Earth Month. We were scheduled, fully booked, and then COVID happened and I lost all of my business. So it was really Mm. devastating um, for me. And I had to shut down the van I had just opened Mm. and let my employees go. But The one kind of blessing about being mobile was I was able to quickly pivot into a door-to-door model where instead of just going to events and farmers markets, which were now closed, I could just go to someone's home. You could leave your bottles outside 
and I could refill them without even seeing you. So we had this no contact delivery system, which was implemented. And that kind of kept me alive through 2020. The challenges of climate change can feel so overwhelming because it is such a massive undertaking um, and problem that we all have to solve. And a lot of people may not know where to start or a lot of the times we feel like our individual actions don't matter in the grand scheme of things. But we have to know that we can each create a positive ripple effect. How do you feel about where you are now? If I can change one person's mind about reusables or change the way that one person thinks about what they're using in their household, then I feel like I've made an impact. The amount of people that have reached out to me saying, oh, I want to do something like this in my community. How do I get started? Or what else can I do? What organizations can I join? To me, I feel like I've already won. We actually had Kelly come to our neighborhood, which was really fun. And this is something that anybody can do, whether you want to just get together with your friends in the neighborhood or even an association. You could have a regular refillery come through and help everyone. Mm-hmm, a refillery party. Or if you're like Kelly and there isn't one in your area yet, maybe you can start, start one. <laughs> um, if you are in the LA area, we'll include um, the link to Refillery LA in our show notes. All right, well, let's virtually travel to another part of the world and meet a dressmaker entrepreneur in Turkey. This is actually a great journey too because Sophia was born in Haiti, lived in New York, and now she lives in Turkey. She followed the flow of her business. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good. Take me on this journey. Where did we, where did I first meet Sophia? I think it was when, you know, on social media, on Instagram, when it like, sends you things that it knows some magical way that you like. I think that her feed popped up. Yeah. No, I think I have one of her skirts or something from several years ago. Yeah. So I just looked her up and I instantly fell in love with her and what she does. And uh, I just have to give a warning to my dad if he's listening, uh, because every time Linda and my mom start talking about dresses, my dad falls asleep. (laughs) So this is some dress talk, dad. (laughs) But it's a very fascinating dress talk because her her background and her love of nature, everything is woven into um, every project, everything that she touches. Sustainability is her second nature. Honestly, when I put on one of her dresses, it reminds me that we can weave our values into things. Yes, my name is uh, Pierre-Sophia Demirtas and I'm the creative director and owner for Someone. Uh, Someone is uh, a clothing brand that focuses on uh, sustainability and uh, pretty much trying to connect with women beyond just making pretty dresses. I really want the brand to, like the minute somebody say Someone, for them to have a lot more to say than um, how pretty the dresses are or the, the way that they're made or they're, the beauty of whatever comes from us. Um, I really want the conversation to go towards, oh, you know, there's something to learn there about nature or cooking or um, there's something motivational. Um, because I think as women, we get bombarded so much with so much of everything that it's uh, a lot to consume and nothing is really coming from like, a true place because by the time you get to the little part of it, that's true. There's been so many other components are uh, that's added. I'm such a huge fan of everything you do. Can you share what the name Fenmon means and where it came from? Uh, Fenmon in Creole uh, is, uh, well, 
I guess if I had to really translate it to a terminology that's closest to English or like worldly, Mm -hmm. it would be sort of like a nomad, like a village woman. And um, I named the brand Saman because in my culture, unfortunately, uh, these are the people that are uh, looked down upon because for their lack of uh, traditional education. Mm -hmm. But um, on the one hand, they have... They have such a wealth of knowledge. Like, you know, every time I'm talking about the women of my culture, I get extremely emotional because, as I said, it was my grandmother um, and my aunts who raised me. And within that community, there's always um, the Famon because they're they're the backbones of uh, of Haiti, not just necessarily just of their family, but of Haiti. Because, you know, like, I don't know if you've seen paintings of these women working with these really big baskets on their heads mm-hmm. full with mm-hmm. fruits or chickens. Um, these are the women, you know, and they do this 24-7, 365 days a year, um, whether they're pregnant or not. Um, they don't know what maternity leave is because uh, work has to continue. And um, But for their lack of education, you know, if... if uh, you refer to someone as a famon in Creole, it's, it's a really direct and uh, harsh insult. Mm. Um, but, you know, like I really wanted to, to name the brand famon to pretty much highlight in a way um, the beauty of their minds, because though they're not educated uh, through schooling, but they have so much knowledge about everything around them. You know, like if you're mm. sick, they would know specifically the herbs to uh, put together for you, the way to put that herbs together to um, target whatever illness or to make you feel better. Um, you know, they learn how to, they become midwives mm-hmm. because it's a tradition that's passed down from their grandmother to their grandmother. Uh, they could tell you if it's going to rain just by looking at the sky. Like to, to you, to me, it looks like it's just like a bright sunny day, but they're like, oh, in an hour, it's going to start to pour. Yeah. <laughs> So it sounds like they're really the, the root of their community. And I love how you're redefining Fan Mon. You're, you're redefining what that word means. Right, right. And not only that, I, you know, and for me, it just made, it, it was a no-brainer that I called myself a Fan Mon because it wasn't even a matter of the brand. I call myself a Fan Mon because in my spirit, um, I feel that's who I am. And I, I had such an early interaction and introduction with women of such, you know, wealth of knowledge with nature, because, you know, my grandmother, she had everyone coming straight from the farm, bringing her, her, her vegetation, um, spices, herbs, teas, uh, live plants to repot. So there was really this sort of like interaction. Like my grandmother didn't go to the doctor. Like she would, if she didn't feel a certain way, she knew specifically Mm. whom of the ladies would be coming in and what she could tell her to prepare, Mm. you know? So, so that early introduction really made me have this appreciation for them because it was like, how do you know all this? And of course, being a child, um, it, it, I didn't understand, like, you had to go to school to be a doctor, this and that. But it, I was just always in awe. Those are the people who need to be recognized more. I didn't know this story. And it's so beautiful and gives me a deeper appreciation. As I traveled, 
um, I understood it was really a global community because if you go to Morocco, you go to India, you go to Eastern, well, not even necessarily Eastern Turkey, to any country's villages, you find these women who are literally carrying their family one way or another. Mm -hmm. And it's whether it's through handmade craft, um, all traditions that they learn from their family, like some type of technique or something that has to do with nature. So, um, you know, which is why also when I started the brand, aside from making it sustainability, um, it was really important for me to equally have um, the handmade component, yeah. you know, because you have these women, this is what they do. This is all they know um, how to do to keep their families going. And um, of course, you know, with modernism, you could make everything through machinery, mm-hmm. but it's really gratifying to have, um, to be able to afford women work and mm-hmm. to preserve these type of skills as well. So let's talk about your business, Fanmon. You started with jewelry and then you transitioned into creating dresses. What was the turning point that made you decide to expand your business? You know, it's all been all unplanned, you know, and I think in a way that's probably what confused a lot of people about the brand. And it even took me a while to call myself a designer and to refer to the brand as a brand because it wasn't like I got up and I had this epiphany and I'm like, oh, I'm going to become a designer and I'm going to, you know, like go from jewelry to, to, to clothing. Um, it all starts with me. And I know like uh, when we put ourselves in the center of what we do, Um, it could come off as not being humble uh, or as, you know, being like obnoxious or anything, but that that's really far from the case. It started with me because I, I just wanted to make myself a beautiful dress. And it was the same thing with the jewelry. Like I wanted to make jewelry that spoke with me and I couldn't find them in the store. And uh, the whole thing with creativity is it's coming from you. So it starts with you, even if it's just you making something for you or thinking of making something that would be serving a need for someone. It starts with you. So for me, um, I was still making the jewelry and then I decided to make myself this beautiful dress um, because embroidery was becoming more popular and the styles that were becoming more and more popular at the time it seems that they were coming out of uh, the whole Slavic uh, cultural reference and in Ukraine in particular. So I wanted to design myself a dress and uh, I made uh, the, the sketches and I found someone to make it for me in Ukraine and I posted the very first picture of it and everybody wanted it. So of course, Um, It wasn't a matter of me saying I'm going to stop jewelry to go into dress. It's just like the energy that pulls you Mm -hmm. that way because Mm -hmm. the focus has to shift because you then have people that you cannot let down. You know, you have orders uh, that goes through challenges to be completed. It was something that was completely new for me. And the more, you know, like I got into it, the more people, you know, like started to kind of like place orders and place orders and and the transition happened that way. Your dresses just have a certain ease and flow and they make me want to dance in the garden, which I've done and Drew has captured. (laughs) (laughs) And, And really it just makes me appreciate the thoughtfulness that's put into weaving nature throughout the design, you know, through every step. And 
really, it's just a celebration of nature. Another reason why I uh, promote or highlight nature so much in what I do is because that's really what has helped me to to maintain myself and, and my truth because nature has a way of making everything so simple, so mm-hmm. relatable. And you realize um, a lot of the things that you're chasing, it's not, it's not really important, you know, because nature, nature provides everything and really asks for nothing in return. So um, that's really the approach that I want to have with everything that I make. And um, hopefully, you know, to convey that to my community within the workspace and um, to the people who support the brand. Honestly, their stories, the way they talk about their businesses and their journey, it sort of ignites a passion in me. It excites me because you can feel their energy. Yeah, you can feel it. You can taste it. You can wear it. You can wash yourself with it. like. (laughs) (laughs) But it's vegan and it's (laughs) eco-friendly. I I think you see too that everyone has had their struggles or everybody's had some sort of challenge they'd had to face. And all of these makers, they don't turn and run when they have a challenge. They work together and they figure it out and they learn and grow from that challenge. Mm -hmm. For me, the key takeaways I've gotten from their three stories is that, you know, when you have support from your community, your family, your partners, you're able to give back so much more um, because it can be scary making a big change. Um, But everything that they do, it's rooted in passion. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that keeps them going. Well, we encourage all of you to support the small businesses in your communities, whether it be ordering a quarantine cake, reducing plastic bottle usage, or supporting sustainable businesses in your area. I think that every little business deserves a little love. Mm-hmm. And we are going to share all of the uh, the links to the businesses in our show notes. And what else? Unleash your inner fanmong. Your Ooh, nomad. I love that word. Isn't it great? I love it so much. I love that Sophia's redefining fanmong. Yes. Thanks for joining us, everyone. This has been a lot of fun. I mean, we should do more of these episodes that are all yeah. about makers. We have so many people. Why don't you highlight. guys also hit us up on social media at at home and tell us some makers that you guys know and their stories because we'd love to share. Oh, I'm so excited too. I like I love finding. I miss going to stores, but you know, power yeah. of online stuff. As well, well, exactly. Now we can see stores in cities we've never been to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And thank you thank to all you. of our team, our homies as well, Brandon Angelino. Annalie Bell. Hannah Fan, Courtney Iwanis. Wes Friend. Chris Cobain. Jessica Bryant-Harvey. And Nicole Schachter. Our theme song is by Victoria Shaw and Chad Carlson. There is one very important person I haven't said thank you to yet, and that would be Linda. Parents? And my parents. <laughs> Mainly <laughs> and Linda. And my parents. And to you. Thank you. Thank you. Love you. Love you. I'll see you next week, Linda. I'll see you now in bed. <laughs> 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 <laughs>